Good morning. Happy Fourth of July weekend to all of you. As you look around the room, you can take Jesus' words to heart. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Right? Just a few weeks ago, I was in the home of one of our newer families, and I was quite taken aback by a question that no one had ever asked me before. The question went something like this, and it came from a fellow Midwesterner. He asked, why are you doing what you're doing here in the Bay Area? In a place, as we have been discussing, where less than 5% of the population attends any sort of institutional religion, let alone the Christian church on a regular basis, why do you stay here? Well, true to my Midwestern roots, the first words out of my mouth were, I love a challenge. As another one of our Midwestern members has put it, I'm a little bit scrappy, right? You know, I like to hang in there and persevere. I'm stubborn, as my wife will tell you. Hard-headed. Part of that's true. Part of it is also learning, as I reflected more on the question later, why it is that so many in the Bay Area have rejected institutional Christianity and institutional religion in general. And in part, I would say it's a healthy move on their part because so much of institutional Christianity in particular in America and generally institutional religion has sort of adopted the civil religion of this country which, as one author puts it, can be best defined as moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic in the sense of gathering together in judgment over and against someone else. Therapeutic in the sense of bad therapy. That is the I'm okay, you're okay type of deal, and I'm okay, you're okay as long as we're on the same side of the fence together. And then deism, which is that old tradition that goes back to the time of our founding fathers, which believes that God kind of wound up the universe, made everything, and then stands back and watches. And if you take sort of the puritanical approach and ladle that on top of it, God stands back and watches in judgment, waiting to see what we will do. To put it in the words of Rick Warren, of uh, the Saddleback Church in Southern California, it is as though life is just a big test of character. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. But that's not the gospel. You could call that American civil religion, you could call that even an American understanding of Christianity, but at the end of the day, it's not the gospel because we hear none of that in the way that Jesus sends out the 70 in today's gospel reading. So why are we here? Jesus' instructions are quite practical in this story today. And we'll review them in just a moment, but I want you to step back and understand that this is unique to Luke's gospel, this teaching about the 70. 
And it's a teaching not just as story about what happened with Jesus and his first followers, but it's meant to be a teaching for the church over the years and across the generations. Very simple, practical instructions and what we are to say and do as Christians living in the world. And it takes on even a mythic sense because we have this apocalyptic moment Apocalyptic, not in the sense of standing on the street corners with placards, another American pastime, right? Saying you're all going to hell. You know, that's another version of American Christianity, which I don't think is quite gospel. Apocalyptic in the ancient sense of revealing the cosmic reality. And that comes through when Jesus says, I saw Satan cast down from heaven. The sense in which evil is overthrown by these simple things. And what are they? What are they? Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Travel light, Jesus is instructing his first followers and us so many centuries later. Travel light. That may be a hard message for us to hear who are so invested in this institution which sometimes can feel very heavy and weighty. But Jesus reminds us something that a contemporary spiritual author, Richard Rohr, talks about when he says that the institution is only good for one thing, and that is to transmit the tradition from one generation to another, so that each generation doesn't have to reinvent the tradition on its own. That's all. That is the only thing that the institution is good for, gathering together the flock and equipping them for ministry. Everything else, as you might say, is frosting. Travel light. Travel light. Hold the institution itself lightly and do not be weighed down by the things of the world, Jesus says. And then he says, whatever house you enter, say peace to this house. Go and offer that peace freely, Jesus is telling us. This is something that we very rarely hear in our society, because in our society, everything we offer has a price tag attached to it, right? You live in that world, don't you? You trade in that world. You profit in that world. You lose sometimes in that world but everything has a price tag, but not when it comes to Christian ministry. Jesus reminds us we are to offer peace, full stop, peace to this house. And even more than that, Jesus says, if that peace is not accepted, then it returns to you. That peace is yours, whether it is accepted or rejected. That takes us headlong into that ancient virtue of Christianity known as chastity. We often sexualize that word, but it's not just about sexuality. It's about all things in relationship. That We do not possess or control or dominate one another. Rather, we simply offer the fruits of the good news, of the gospel. And whether that is accepted or rejected, is not it within our power. But the good news is that it remains ours either way.
It is part of who we are. And then Jesus tells us to accept the hospitality we have been offered. Remain in the same house, he says, eating and drinking whatever they provide. For the laborer deserves to be paid, he says. A little bit of meritocracy stinking in there, all right. But still, Jesus says, accept what is offered you with open hands and open hearts, he might say. The core of today's reading is what comes next. Jesus says, say to them, as you help them, as you help heal them, he says, say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, when was the last time you heard somebody say that in the public context of our popular media? Have you ever heard a televangelist say that? Have you ever heard a politician say that? Particularly in this season where fear is the be-all and end-all of politics. Never. Never. We live in a meritocracy, right? Where you get what you deserve. We live in a place where you are judged on your success. The size of your bank account, the size of your portfolio, you can go down the list. But there's none of that in here. Instead, Jesus tells us the kingdom of God has come near to you, and this is what you are to say. And if this isn't radical enough for us, it was tremendously radical in the first century because these were villages and towns that had been forgotten. They were under the thumb of Roman rule, which means they had to pay out through the nose for the tribute to keep flowing to Rome. And they were under the thumb of the religious authorities of the time who demanded more sacrifice than anybody could afford and they were told over and over and over again that they didn't matter, that they didn't count, that they couldn't afford to count, and that they were forgotten, even by God. And Jesus tells his followers to say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The forgotten, the oppressed, the wayward, the unworthy. It's fundamentally a message of hope. Fundamentally a message of hope. Not about merit. Not about getting what you deserved. Not about moralizing and holding judgment over each other. Not cheap therapy. I'm okay. You're okay. Not deism, God is out there somewhere and is watching you. But the kingdom of God has come near you. As if to say, God has come close enough to you that you can claim God as yours. God loves you that much. No matter what else the world has said. A message that the world, even today, 20 centuries later, so desperately needs to hear. The kingdom of God has come near you. 
Now, hope has often been defined as a Christian virtue, but I would say what Luke is authoring by this passage to us is the notion that hope is a Christian vocation. It is our calling. It is the way we are to be in the world and in relationship with one another and everyone we meet. It is a hope that even today in our prosperous, materially wealthy and affluent location is still desperately needed. It is a hope that tells us we are so much more than what we do and so much more than the world says we are because we are beloved of God. And so our vocation, our reason for being here, even in this fraction of less than 5% of the Bay Area population, is to nurture this message of hope and carry it out those doors and sharing it with abandon so that those who have ears to hear will hear. Perhaps in that way we join in the true salvation that God in Christ is bringing into the world hope that brings healing, that casts out fear and darkness, that we then may rejoice as our names, too, are written in heaven. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R MV for millvalley.org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.